Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Good morning again, City Collective. What a wonderful time of worship just now. So thank you again so much for joining us. And, and just as the pastor of discipleship, new to the team, I just want to say whoever is watching that's a regular attendee or those who are brand new, both alike, you are so welcome here this morning. And I'm just so grateful that you are taking the time to rock up with us and hear about the book of Psalms. Now, I'm going to plunge into the deep end of the book of Psalms, and I'll tell you my reason for that in just a moment. Right at, what I'm going to do right now is ask the prettiest girl in the whole wide world, I think that's an objective fact, my wife Khadija, uh, to come up and read the psalm for us. Good morning, everyone. I get to read uh, today's scripture from Psalm 88. It's the entire psalm. Uh, So if you have your Bible, you can read along. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in the darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Selah. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark, and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die for my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They come around me all day long like water. They have engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. This is God's word. Thank you so much. I'm told that in the military, if you were to sign up today, 
that there are two things that are the first things that they will teach you. And the two first things that they teach you, you might think, oh, maybe it's learning how to swim or how to tie a knot or something along those practical lines. But in actuality, the very first things, two things, that the military will teach you is how to unjam a gun and how to carry a friend off the field. The reason why they teach you that first, to drill that down into the core of who you are, is because it prepares you for the worst case scenario. In Psalm 88, the reason why I've chosen this psalm to begin our time together is to prepare all of us for the inevitable worst-case scenario and what to do. What do you do when your praise sounds more like despair? Um, let's start with a little bit of historical background just to kind of get our minds around what is this book of Psalms? Um, it is the book of Psalms, or the Psalter, as it's called in the literature, and it means, it's in Hebrew, and it means songs of praise. And it is arguably one of the most necessary books for your spiritual well-being. Not only because it points to Jesus. In fact, when Jesus begins his ministry, say for example in John chapter 2, 17, the quote that is used to describe the beginning of his ministry comes from the book of Psalms. And when Jesus breathes his last, when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, is a direct quotation from Psalm 31. Jesus is a person that is the result of a life fully steeped in the book of Psalms. It's 150 chapters of beautiful literature. The book of Psalms is this corpus of, uh, of the human condition in all of its sublimity, and in all of its sufferings. It's this poetic public record that's been preserved, and it preserves passionate prayers. Prophecies plump with hope, with pains, and with praise. And throughout the history of Israel, where it was written, kings and poets and prophets and musicians wrote these 150, 150 songs of praise, and you can think of them almost like hymns that would be used in, in personal, but as well as in corporate worship at the temple, which lay at the heart of the nation and of the people. Uh, temple is a key theme. Uh, you may not know this. This is fascinating for me, and I, and I hope that this stuff really helps you just to get the most out of your Bible when you're reading it on your own. The temple is a key theme throughout the entire Bible, um, even in the Gospels. Um, John, again, uh, when it says those famous lines, um, God became flesh and dwelt among us. When it says dwelt among us, it, it literally is saying that God has tabernacled or, or templed among us. So for Israel, an Israel, Israelite thought, Jewish thought, life itself orbits around worship at the temple. Temple was central because it was the sacred space where heaven and earth kissed. 
It's where they met. And it harks back all the way to before the fall in the Garden of Eden, where God's space and human space were perfectly in shalom, were perfectly harmonized together. And in the temple, they would, they would remember God's creation story. They would remember and celebrate the rescue from slavery. They would remember their God-centric identity, and they would celebrate who God has revealed himself to be, a God of compassion, a God of justice, and a God of loving kindness. All those reasons taken cumulatively, taken together, are why temple was so utterly significant. And, well, in the 6th century BC, Jerusalem was brutally besieged by the nation of Babylon, by that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and they were taken off into exile. They were taken captives. They were taken slaves. And the Babylonians sacked the temple, raiding the treasury and burning the structure of itself to the ground. And it was sometime after that that the book of Psalms was collected and compiled into what we know today as the book of Psalms. So here's what's so fascinating, and the reason why we did that slight digression into the historicity of the book, and this is why it's so fascinating. This book for the people of God functioned as a literary temple for a temple-less people. That's what the book of Psalms is, a place where heaven and earth meet, a place to encounter the living God, a place as Tim Mackey from the Bible Project so beautifully articulates. He says this, and I quote, The Psalms are a literary, virtual temple where the story of God is sung back to you in poetry. And if you're thinking of the original audience, then the relevancy immediately emerges because this book was written for all of those who feel like their entire world has collapsed. For those who are suffering trauma, for those who are desperate, for those who are lost, for those who are searching for a home and for a hope. And if you can just excuse a sidebar just for a second, I've had times of reading the book of Psalms even in preparation for this very message, and I've just suddenly burst into tears as the words from the page have leapt off of it and entered into my own heart and imagination. Two years ago, uh, my brother Andrew passed away from cancer. Uh, it began in his colon and it metastasized to his liver and eventually to his lungs, and it was just the worst experience I've ever been through. And I used to travel the world, in fact, of explaining to audiences, hey, you know, why does God allow suffering and evil in the world? And I would do my best to give the best philosophical, theological explanation to the most profound of questions. But your entire worldview gets challenged when you encounter it personally, firsthand. And when I read the book of Psalms, like Psalm 34, for example, where it says that the Lord is close to those who are broken 
hearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That as one commentator says, that the only thing in the entire universe that God cannot resist is a broken heart. It would supply me with the vital strength that I needed to go on another day. And as helpful as the intellectual component of Christianity is, and it is, ultimately it is only God's word that is able to mend ever so gently the human heart. But the Psalms don't only supply us with strength, they're formative for our prayer life. It expands and enriches the lexicon of our prayer life, and not simply for eloquence' sake, but rather for, culti- for the cultivation of honest prayer. Honest prayer. This is so important. By virtue of its own honesty before God, it forces out our deep-rooted religiosity and self-righteous piety and floods us with a template of honest prayer, honest lamentation, honest cries of the heart, leading to authentic intimacy with God in honest praise. An honest relationship with God is the aim of the book of Psalms. And it is because of that that we are provided with Psalm 88. Written by Heman the Ezraite, Psalm 88 is a 18-verse scream at God. Have you ever been in the midst of a tough season and someone comes up to you and says, just cheer up. When when I think about situations like that, and I've had that sort of situation, I think to myself, when in human history has it ever helped anybody just cheer up? Psalm 88 is saying the exact opposite. It is providing the necessary space and freedom and permission to pray honestly before God. Remember what we just read at least 15 times, Heman, the author, screams out at God as he accuses God of being responsible for the darkness and despair that he's ensconced in. Uh, I'll read a few of these verses. You laid on me, uh, you have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Now, we're not told exactly what Heman is going through, but I think that that's actually a good thing because it becomes far easier for us to map on what's going on in this particular psalm into what's going on in our particular life and circumstances. But regardless of what is actually happening, the results are the same, internal and external darkness. Internal darkness, read with me again, for my soul is full of troubles. And remember, this is poetic literature. What does he mean by the soul? He's saying that the deepest possible part of who I am is full of anguish. And now the external darkness, you have put away my acquaintances from me in a community-centered ancient culture to be disconnected from your community is horrific. It's part of who you are. And by the end of the psalm, he writes ultimately that darkness is his only friend. 
In the Hebrew, the word darkness is actually the last word in the psalm. And if we're thinking about the rhetorical effect of what that means in a piece of poetry, it's saying that that darkness has the final word over my life, God. And let's be clear here. Who does the poet think is responsible for the darkness of his life? And the answer is God. He blames God. We need to sometimes just let the rage against the light settle in our minds and hearts for a second. And if you've never read this psalm before, this scream, this lament, you may be wondering, how on earth is a psalm like this in the Bible? And here is my first point that I think that the Bible wants us to latch on to. We have permission to pour out our pain to God without the pressure to praise. We have permission to pour out our pain to God without the pressure to praise. The very worst thing that you could say to a victim of trauma, the very worst thing that you could say to a victim of trauma is to keep going. Or is to, is to just pick yourself up, some sort of like trivial encouragement. The very worst thing that we can say to somebody that is going through that situation is just cheer up. You who have experienced real trauma or have been deeply moved by the trauma that you've seen around in our world, does God give you permission to pour out your pain unfiltered to him? And the biblical answer is yes. You who have gone through trauma or observe the trauma around you and are deeply moved, do you have permission to have this unfiltered cry out to God? And the Bible's answer to that question is yes. Have you ever read the Psalms of David before? Do you know what you're reading? It's the prayer journal of a man with PTSD thousands of years before modern psychology was able to diagnose that sort of condition. It was Dr. Esau McCauley, author of Reading While Black, who once remarked that, that psalms like these are, quote, trauma literature written by a traumatized people. And in there, we find comfort and hope because we know we're not alone. We're not the only ones. We can keep going. Can you imagine if you're an Israelite exile, locked down in downtown Babylon, stripped of your homeland, stripped of your temple, stripped of your freedom, stripped of your rights, and you come across a sacred scripture, a sacred text like Psalm 88, like this, Psalms, like Psalm 88, provide us the very language that we long for to fully articulate our pain to God. This is why we can't just, as I used to do, just hurriedly pass by Psalms that are, that are weighty like this. They're intended to be soaked in. And the more that we integrate this spiritual practice of honest prayer into our daily walks with God, the better our spiritual well-being can become. 
And I'm not saying, you just got to hear me very closely here, I'm not saying that we should live in Psalm 88 permanently. But there are certainly seasons in life, and you might be in one right now, where we do just need to set up camp here for, for a while. Because it lets us know that we're normal. Praying prayers like Psalm 88 allows the soul to breathe. It's cathartic. We grow and mature as we process our emotional, existentially charged thoughts and feelings before God. Not merely by speaking to friends, which is really, really important to do, and I encourage that, but to speak to God who does not condemn your screams. You have permission to pour out your pain to God without the pressure to praise. And this leads me to my final point. I remember uh, examination time in university. Um, it was so stressful. <laughs> Two months of cramming every single day for an exam that's worth 100% of my final grade. In my own personal opinion, uh, I think that this sort of torture should be taken up under consideration of the United Nations National um, Rights Council, uh, but that just might be me. That might just be my opinion, but I feel like that sort of torture should be uh, just reviewed. Um, but man, the buildup to this, the anxiety going into this examination was just overwhelming. And so the big day came, and I took the test, and, and uh, I thought I did okay, answered all three questions, um, until afterwards I met with some of my friends to debrief, and the time that I entered into the conversation, they were all talking about question number four. And I said, uh, hold on a second, I thought there was three questions. What's this fourth question that you're talking about? I didn't know that there was a fourth question. And they said, Zoman, absolutely there was a fourth question. Number three was part one and part two. It wasn't an either or. And I just remember my stomach just sinking. And I politely excused myself, rushed home, and Khadija was the first person I saw, and I just burst into tears as I missed 25% of my final examination that's worth 100% of my grade. Let me ask you a question. Who are the ones who we feel the most comfortable breaking down in front of? And the answer is the ones that are closest with us. Those relationships are the most meaningful ones we'll have in the world, the ones where we can be real, no mask. Do you know why Psalm 88 is in your Bible, this scream? It's because the psalmist is screaming to God. The lines of communication are open. Heman's external, internal life feels engrossed by darkness, but he never walks away. Nor does God reject him for the honest prayers. If the only people that we feel the most comfortable with and breaking down in front of and, and weeping salty alligator crocodile tears in front of are those who were certain love us the most, then Psalm 88 is a monument to God's love for us. 
Psalm 88 is a monument of God's love for us. But how can this be a monument of God's love for us, uh, Pastor Zoe, when Heman feels like God is silent? There's no answer to his darkness and his prayer. And I'm indebted to a Bible commentator. Her name is Beth Tanner. She was immensely helpful. And she writes this. Here, words of fear and anger appear as sacred scripture, showing that God did indeed hear their cries. It also speaks of God, a God who is creator and king of the universe, and who also does not condemn honest, painful conversations with humans, uh, with humans that God created. And in that may represent better than other texts the love that God has for us. So do you hear what she's, do you hear what she's trying to say? Heman accuses God of not paying attention, of being silent, of even of being against Heman in causing his affliction and his darkness. But the very presence of Heman's prayer in the Psalms demonstrate that God heard him that God was paying attention, even if Heman didn't feel it. And the fact of the matter is that Heman's prayer will be remembered forever. It is one of the greatest literary works of all time. Millions of people have been helped by his prayer for some 3,000 years, and we're still discussing it today in British Columbia. So God was present, and is present, and is there, and is working, even when he didn't feel it. And friend, if you're going through a season of darkness, a feeling of God is silent, then friend, God is not, he has not abandoned you. He is there, he is working, even if you can't feel it. That's why Psalm 88 is a monument of God's love for us. And by it, God speaks to every generation that you can come close to me. I want to have a relationship with you that is authentic and that is real. I'm going to close in just a minute or so. New York Times bestseller, uh, Brene Brown, speaks on relationships, gives TED Talks. TED Talks are like the secular version of a sermon. And she writes that as an expert on relationships, writes that there are two words that are the worst possible words that you, could, that you could say to somebody that you have a meaningful relationship with. And the two words that are the worst that you could possibly say are at least. So, man, you, you know, at least you answered three out of four of the questions. So, man, uh, at least you got to spend X amount of years with your brother before he passed away from cancer. But she says there are two other significant words, the two best words that you could say to somebody that is going through a season of despair and darkness. Those two words are me too. Friend, if you're going through a season of felt darkness and felt God-forsakenness, Jesus says to you, me too. He knows exactly 
what that feels like. In Matthew 27, we read about the crucifixion scene of Christ and, and see if you can spot the parallelisms when Matthew writes in chapter, in, in verse 45, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. You and I will go through seasons of felt darkness and a felt absence of God. The fact that that's a, just a fact of life, but we already discussed how how Haman actually, even though he felt those ways, God was actually, actually working. It is only Jesus who experienced absolute darkness, total darkness. When Jesus went to the cross, he was truly abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, his own friends abandoned him. New York Times, uh, New York bestseller, Tim, uh, New York, New York pastor, there we go, pastor Tim Keller writes, out of all the people who ever trusted God as Savior, only Jesus Christ could say, darkness was my only friend. Why? Keller again, Jesus experienced darkness as his only friend so that in your darkness, you can know that Jesus is still your friend. He's there. Jesus was truly abandoned so that you who only feel abandoned and you can know that God is still there. Everything that has rightfully divided us from God, Jesus, out of love for you, absorbed into himself. All the darkness, all the sin, Jesus paid for it all so that you will never be separated truly, objectively from God because you are loved. You are loved and you are treasured and you are precious to God even if you don't feel it. I'll close with a quote from American poet and professor from Yale University, Christian, uh, Christian Weeman, in his book, My Bright Abyss, Meditations of a Modern Believer. And he writes this, I am a Christian because of that moment on the cross when Jesus, drinking the dregs of human bitterness, cries out, my God, my God, why has that... Why hast thou forsaken me? The point is that he felt human destitution to its absolute degree. The point is that God is with us, not beyond us, in suffering. And how beautiful is it to know that if you're like Haman in Psalm 88, who has experienced serious anguish and trauma, that Jesus can say, me too. Me too. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. I'm not certain where you're at today, what you've been going through. Maybe the darkness that you felt, maybe the silence from God that you have felt. Maybe you find yourself in a, in a, a place that you never imagined. And it feels like God isn't answering your prayers in the way that you hoped that he would. Friend, the Bible understands Jesus understands. You have permission from God to pour out your pain to him without the pressure to praise. And psalms like what we read today are monuments that God loves you and wants an honest relationship with you. He won't reject you because of your honesty. He will only embrace you even more.
So I'm going to pray for all of us that are feeling that season of darkness and despair. And maybe in your own heart you can cry out to God in your own honest words. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus knows what it's like to go through what we're going through. We thank you, Father, for the cross in which is that great unexpected cosmic reversal where the darkest darkness became the brightest brightness, that midnight was chased away by the dawn and sorrow replaced by joy, death swallowed up in life on the cross. I pray that you speak to every single soul watching, listening, and that you would help them to get to the other side of this season of darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you're going through that season, remember, keep reading the rest of your book of Psalms. The way that the story ends in the chapters, the last five chapters, are all praise. And that's what's going to happen in your life. I'm going to now uh, show the reflection questions on the screen. And you can jot those down and think through those and talk with a friend and process together and pray together honestly. And next, we'll be going into a time of worship again where you can have that honest conversation with God and get things off of your chest. Free your heart. Talk honestly to God. He loves you. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.